Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today on Words of Grace, I'm going to share with you a portion of a message that we delivered last week at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church on the two men that the Lord manifest himself to on the road to Emmaus. The timetable of this story from Scripture is following the resurrection of our Lord as he began to reveal himself and the truth of his resurrection to various of his disciples here or there. He appears to two men as they walked on the road to Emmaus. Now, these men leaving Jerusalem as disciples of Christ were very distraught. They were very discouraged. And yet by the end of this encounter with Christ, their entire world had been turned upside down. For the better, they were invigorated and enthused. 
and rush back to Jerusalem to tell the rest of the disciples that Jesus is risen indeed. This is an interesting and very, I believe, encouraging story, and we hope you enjoy it in today's broadcast. Here's today's message, The Road to Emmaus. In the book of Luke chapter 24, we find the account of these two as they walk on the road to Emmaus. Now, again, these women come to the empty tomb. It's empty. Angels report that Christ is risen. They go back. Peter and John come at the word of that. They investigate. They find the tomb empty. Mary Magdalene stays behind as they go back. Christ reveals himself to her. She goes and tells the disciples. And here we find today's message. Behold, two of them, this is verse 13 of Luke chapter 24, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And that three score furlongs is about seven miles or so. Now these men are walking seven miles between Jerusalem and Emmaus. As far as the actual location of Emmaus, there are a few potential sites of that historic city that people believe might be the Emmaus that history reports or records. We often emphasize that, especially on Wednesday nights, as we look at, at present, the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how there are these cities that history talks about that the Bible records, and they're real cities, they're not imaginary places, and sometimes archaeologists find them and excavate them. Some very well-known cities are known even today, and those of you that have the finances to do such things. You can go over and tour them even today. The rest of us have to look at them on Google. But you can actually tour many of these historic sites in the world even today. Emmaus is one that we don't know exactly where the city was, which city that it was, but we know that it's three score furlongs, which is about seven miles away. It was a real city. They're walking on a real road. As they talk together of all things which had happened, now these people are disciples. They're worshipers of Christ, and they're talking about everything that they've seen. They're talking about how they thought it was he that should redeem Israel. And to a Jewish man that's a follower of Christ, so many times they looked at Christ through their own national objectives, similarly to how sometimes we do in the United States, not realizing that God has people all around the world and that his church exists in all the other countries that it exists in, and it's not an American church over there, and it shouldn't be an American church here. But so much like we are, were they, they're interpreting Christ and the church and his mission, his work in the world as one of restoring Israel, running out the Romans, and establishing the former glory as it was in the days of David. See, they viewed it through a national sense rather than a spiritual sense. They're still asking that question as he ascends to glory. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Is that what Jesus just told them to do? He said, go into the world, preach the gospel. He didn't tell them, worry about Israel being restored. He said, preach the gospel. What is it that you and I ought to be doing today? Preaching the gospel. That's what he's commanded us to do in every nation to all people to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's our life's work. That's what we do. We preach the word of God. That's to be our chief concern. They don't get that any more than we sometimes don't get that. As they talk, well, they talk about his crucifixion. We thought that he would maybe repel the Romans. Maybe we, maybe we thought that he would reestablish the glory days of David. Maybe he was to 
to reign and rule for maybe the rest of the, the world's history here in Jerusalem. We believed he was the Messiah. We believed that he was the one that should take away our sin. Maybe they understood Isaiah 53 the way it should be understood. You know, there were Jews that didn't. The Ethiopian eunuch, for instance, in Acts chapter 8, asks Philip the evangelist, reading from Isaiah 53, who does he speak of, of himself or someone else? They're talking about everything that had occurred. They're just talking about it. It's all they can talk about from every different angle. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, to be very clear, this is not communed together as in breaking bread and praying and passing the bread and passing the wine and having what we call communion service. We call communion just that because in that service, we commune with the Lord in a sense that we show his death until he comes. We experience fellowship with him as we partake of the emblems, which are bread and wine, unleavened bread and wine. And to be very clear, the unleavened bread and the wine stays unleavened bread and wine after we ingest of it. It doesn't become the physical body and blood of Christ, but we do, in a sense, spiritually fellowship with him and with one another, and that's why we call it communion. These two commune in the sense that they're together, they talk, they experience grief and emotion together, and We can kind of look at the way that we use that word in other senses in the English language. If something is communal or maybe there's a community, it implies being together. These men are walking and they're just lamenting one with the other about everything that had happened. They commune together in that sense and they reasoned. They're trying to figure it out. Why has this happened? Think about it. These men... If they'd been with Jesus long enough, they saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. They saw him cleanse lepers of leprosy. They saw him raise paralyzed men to walk again, to heal withered limbs. They saw him walk on water, calm the seas, divide Just a few loaves and fishes among thousands of men and women and children so that all could eat. And beyond that, they've seen his love, his compassion. They've heard the power in his preaching, and yet he was crucified. And so they reason, how can it be that a man could do all of these things and then be crucified? They thought everything had come to an end. As they reason with themselves, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But I want you to notice verse 16. Their eyes were holden that they should not know him. They were blind to the fact that this was Jesus. How could these men be blind to the fact that the Christ that they have known, that they have seen, that they have heard, that they have handled was standing right before them. Now, there are times when I haven't seen someone for many years, and and we go through changes in life, right? When you looked in the mirror this morning, those of you that are over a certain age, did it look like the you that looked back at you when you were 19? No. 
No, in fact, I can't even see the me in the mirror as well as I could when I was 19. Praise God, it's like a filter. You know, everybody has those filters that takes away wrinkles. Bad vision does that. You look in a mirror, I can't see the wrinkles. I don't see the gray hair Rachel makes fun of that's growing on the side of my head because it just kind of blurs together. But these men had been with him day in and day out. If I see any of you in a store and I turn and I look and my eyes actually focus on you, I know it's you. I know it's you. I look at you. I see you. I perceive it's you. And, you know, maybe you see me and you go the other way. But if I see you, I'm going to try to talk to you. They see Jesus and they don't know it's him. They don't know it's him. What does it say here? Their eyes were holding that they should not know him. That's a, another way of saying that their eyes were blinded, that they did not realize that it was Christ. Who blinded their eyes? The Lord hid himself from them that they should not see him. Now, this is a physical depiction of something that occurs in a spiritual sense as well. There were people in first century Judea, Jews, who were judicially blinded, given eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear because of their generational rebellion against him. Generation after generation after generation of rebellion. God says, I'm not giving you eyes to see and ears to hear that this is my son. And your nation is going to suffer national judgment before the end of a generation after his crucifixion. They're going to be judged as a nation, and they're going to fall because of their rejection of him. Judicial blindness. One of the most terrifying things to consider in the world is that I could live my life in such a way that God would judge me and take away my ability to see spiritual things or take away my ability to hear spiritual things. Have you ever heard of people whose heart was hardened because of their sin? Who hardened Pharaoh's heart as a judgment against him? God did. Now, did God take a kind little cub scout and make a mean old Pharaoh out of him? No, this man was wicked before any of these interactions. And how God hardens him is through the external plagues that he gave. He plagued, he lifted, he plagued, he lifted, but it served to harden his heart. One of the things that we have to be very concerned with in our life is that we don't live in rebellion so persistently that God would say, fine. I remove from you the ability to see. We don't need to harden our hearts. And we certainly don't want to find ourselves blinded to things that we could see because we have rejected God's word. But this also demonstrates a point that is a fundamental fact in Scripture that to see Jesus, Jesus has to be revealed to you. We embrace that. But a lot of folks don't understand that. They don't know that for you and for me to see Jesus as the Christ takes the Father in heaven revealing his Son to me. Where does the Bible say that? Matthew chapter 11. Jesus has just rebuked people for their rejection of his word. He upbraided the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. And at that time, Jesus answered, verse 25, and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. Has what? Has hidden them. 
and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, listen, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. For you and for me to know Jesus, and I don't mean in a historical sense where we know there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth, but to know that Jesus is the Son of God. For you and for me, for us to know that, God must reveal his Son to us. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, Whom do ye say that I am? And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does Jesus say in verse 17 of Matthew 16? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. How did Peter know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God? That is to claim his divinity because the Father had revealed the Son to him. Now, this occurs, I believe, in regeneration, but still there are times in our life as we study God's Word that God must reveal His truth unto us. Anything you know true about God that you know in your heart, God has revealed to you. If you thought that we are here today because we've just figured something out and we have a a cutting edge on other men intellectually, think again. We know what we know because God has revealed it to us. Through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, He has opened your eyes to the truth of what the Word says. And I would just say, whatever truth you know about Christ, whether it be creation, whether it be the identity of His Son, the fact that He was crucified for sin and rose again, the fact that He reigns today, whatever truth you know about Christ, God has revealed it unto you And everyone here today who believes this message has had something revealed to them. And so together we say, praise God, that he has revealed his son to us, his truth and his word to us. Back to Luke 24, their eyes were holden that they should not know him, should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communication are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? What's going on? You guys look heartbroken. Now, they're heartbroken because he's crucified and Jesus is standing beside them. It's amazing, this story. Why are you so sad? Well, this man named Cleopas, some people believe Cleopas to be Alphaeus. Whether that be the case or not, we don't know. It's historically regarded that he's potentially Alphaeus. Cleopas answers, Are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and has not known the things which are come to pass in these days? Have you been hiding under a rock somewhere, we might say in Alabama? Bless your heart. What rock did you just climb out from? Have you been asleep? Have you not been paying attention? Are you the proverbial ostrich with its head in the sand? How do you not know what's taken place in this city this week? Jesus answers, What things? Oh, really? What happened? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be crucified to death and have crucified him. 
But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. We thought he was the redeemer. But they killed him. And beside all this, today it is the third day since these things were done. This is day three. They go on, and this tells you that their departure came after the women came to the tomb and found it empty. Certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, and when they found his body, found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them, which were with us, went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but... Him they saw not. We read this last week. The women come to the tomb. The tomb is empty. The angels tell them why. They go back. Peter and John, they go to the tomb. John outruns Peter. They find him not, but the angels testify. And these men, rather than believing the obvious, they're still wrestling with unbelief. Jesus says unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Anyone with an Old Testament who had read it would know. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? Fundamentally, from the Old Testament, as a simple matter of theology, yes. See, the Jews were so confused about this. They knew that the Messiah would suffer. But at the same time, they knew that the Messiah would be triumphant. And so some of them believed in two Messiahs, one who would suffer and one who would reign. They didn't understand that it's the same Messiah that suffered who would let her rise and reign in glory. Hindsight in Bible prophecies 2020, let us always remember that. It's easy to look back on a fulfilled prophecy and say, ah, that's how it's fulfilled. Looking forward, even the best and the brightest would get it wrong. And so any prophecy that's yet fulfilled, we look at and hold our opinion on it with a loose grip. At this point, Jesus begins at Moses. And all the prophets, and expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to have an audio recording of that sermon? I love that we have the technology that we have today to hear the voices of men and women who have gone on before us, especially gospel preachers, to hear sermons of great men of the faith early when to record a a message was possible. I'm thankful for the written word that recorded messages for us. Wouldn't it be something to hear this message that Jesus himself taught about himself from the Old Testament, which he inspired after his resurrection, standing there before them? I would imagine this is one of the most powerful sermons about Christ that has ever been preached. And we have a summary of it in but one statement. Now, by the way, there are two men here, if you notice, and as Jesus shows up, he rebukes them. He would do three things as he would see the disciples. He would comfort them, he would rebuke them, and he would command them. And we'll emphasize all of those in this series. Here Jesus rebukes, but then he clarifies what he would do according to the Scriptures to these two men. Some people believe that the unnamed man here is none other than the author of this gospel, Luke. 
We don't know that. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But there are many people in church history that believe the unnamed man with Cleopas is none other than Luke, which is why we have so much more than a mere summary of it as Mark gives us in Mark's gospel. He expounds unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Where might Jesus have turned? Perhaps Genesis 3.15. That the seed of the woman would come into the world and bruise the head of the serpent. That's a prophecy of the virgin birth, the suffering of Christ as the serpent would bite the heel of the son, but the victory of Christ and that the son would crush the head of the serpent. Perhaps he would turn to Genesis 22 and the ram caught in a thicket where Abraham prophesied and said, God will provide himself an offering as Isaac lays there, his only begotten with Sarah, ready to plunge the knife into him in obedience to God's command when God stops him and he looks and lo and behold, a ram caught in a thicket. Perhaps Jesus turned there. Genesis 49, as Jacob lay dying and said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Maybe Jesus turns to Genesis 49. Maybe Jesus turns to Exodus chapter 12 and looks at the Passover. Or Exodus 3, the burning bush. Maybe he turns to Deuteronomy 18 and the prophecy of that prophet who would come. The true prophet, like Moses. The sort of a prophet that they're still looking for in Jesus' day. They asked John the Baptist, art thou that prophet? The Deuteronomy 18 prophet. And he says, I'm not him. Maybe Jesus says, Christ would be that prophet and unto him the gathering of the people shall be. And anyone that doesn't gather unto him, this prophet like Moses that ushers in a covenant, they're going to be judged among the people. I'm certain that he turned to the Psalms. Don't you know that he turned to the Psalms? Maybe he turns to the book of Daniel. The prophecies of Christ in the book of Daniel. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 maybe. However long this sermon took, these men walking this seven-mile trip, think about the length of time that they had been gone. They hadn't been gone long if it's still the same day. And they were there long enough to know people had come back there. They had the full story of everything we looked at last week. They walk all the way to their destination. And Jesus preached the entire time. This was not a one-hour sermon. Jesus preached himself from the Old Testament as they walked. As they drew nigh into the village, whither they went, he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him. He made as though he would have gone further. Well, I'm going to keep walking. No, 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 stay, stay. Maybe they're thinking, we want to hear more. And as you'll see in a moment, some part of them knows something is going on, even though their minds don't perceive it. Stay with us. It's toward evening. The day is far spent. And he went to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he said, at meet with them. He took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. I love that even in this, he's in the leadership position, right? He's breaking it. He's blessing it. He's distributing it to them. And immediately, look at verse 31 of Luke 24. Their eyes were opened and they knew that it was him. They knew him. And as they perceive that it's Jesus, immediately he vanishes out of their sight. 
Now, that doesn't mean that they look away and he slips out the door like some sort of a ninja. He vanishes. He vanishes. How does he do that? Don't know. I don't have to know. But I know that he did because it's what the Bible says. They look at one another. I've had some jaw-dropping moments in my life, but you can imagine that this is exactly what they do. Their jaws drop. And they said, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. Now that word indeed there, they've already heard two accounts of people going to the empty tomb and the words of the angels, but when they saw him, they make haste to Jerusalem. Make haste. They run. They get there. He's really alive. We saw him. He walked with us. He preached to us. He fed us. He blessed the food. He revealed himself to us. He vanished. He is risen indeed. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.